This is Glistening Particles, and I'm Jane, your host. I like to hear inspiring stories from people that I barely know and share them with you, and that's what we do here. I never know how it's going to go. I never know what they're going to say, but it's always a good story. In this episode, I'm talking with Nathan the Minimalist. So here's the weirdest thing that happened. Not the weirdest thing. A lot of weird things happened in my life. But here's the the weirdest thing that happened with regards to this episode. So near the end of the year, I watched the documentary called The Minimalist. And it was super inspired me because I've been trying to reduce the amount of things I have for quite some time. And I did a whole nother layer of purging from closets in the kitchen, things like that. And was so excited about making that a big part of 2017, of continuing to reduce the amount of things I have so I can be more mobile. And then, out of nowhere, comes Nathan, the minimalist. And here's his story. Hi, Nathan. Welcome to the show. Hi, how's it going? It is a pretty darn good Friday here. I'm really excited about this call, and it's been such a good week. There's like nothing like the new year to start fresh, at least in my mind. How about you? Yeah, I feel like this has been kind of one of those years where uh, starting off on the right foot and kind of excited to see where it takes me. <laughs> me too. I'm not sure if it's the shaking off last year, like, you know, like just like when you get out of the shower or something, just shaking it all off or if it's the yeah. freshness of the year, but something is feeling right, which is great. Yeah. So let's start out by telling people how we met. Um, I think that the story, well, you can actually tell it because I think this one is all you. Why don't you tell me how you found me? Yeah. Um, so a friend of mine, uh, knew Emirate, who was your guest, uh, on the last episode. Mm-hmm. And, um, he just kind of, we've been kind of trading philosophical articles and podcasts and stuff. And so when I listened to it, I thought, uh, it's kind of sort of where my head's at and, you know, where I'm going with my life at this point. And so I reached out cause I thought, you know, this is a, a new year and I'm trying to do things that are out of my comfort zone. And so I messaged you and asked if I could share my story on the podcast. And of course, that made me pretty excited because for people to come now and say, hey, I want to be on the podcast. Whoa, is that about the coolest thing? And I, <laughs> I will ask you at the end, though, like how like since this is out of your comfort zone thing, like how uncomfortable was this? Yeah. <laughs> we'll go back and just check that at the end. Um, so you had the coolest story because, and, and it's really timely actually, because I've been, I watched the documentary of the minimalist just before the holidays actually, which is a really good time to watch it because it kind of prevents you from buying as many things at the holidays to bring into your, just love those guys. In fact, I'm hoping I can get a conversation with them. But when I got your story, it had a little bit of a feel of that, of how you sort of went, wait, what is this path I'm on? And what yeah. can I do differently? So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Um, 
All right. Well, I guess it it sort of starts with uh, college. I went to school in San Francisco at the San Francisco Art Institute. And my major was design and technology. So a lot of what I was studying was kind of, you know, where technology is taking us in the future, where it's come from, how it was integrated into the present moment. And um, yeah, and then the other aspect of it was branding and marketing and advertising and how that kind of philosophy has developed from you know, going to your local general store to now companies spending millions of dollars and most of their income on marketing is uh, a form of, you know, getting people to consume goods. So that, that was kind of the, the, um, I would say the foundation for what led me to where I'm at now. Um, so went to school and graduated and went back to LA and was interning at a magazine called LA Canvas. And I had a friend that was doing some side work because we weren't really making money at the internship. <laughs> that's, the, that's the way they go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she asked me to come help her do construction on this uh, mansion in Silver Lake in Los she Angeles. She asked me, like that sentence I don't think is said that often, say that she asked me to help do construction on a mansion in Silver Lake. Yeah. I bet that's said like once. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it actually used to be Charlie Chaplin's mansion, which is interesting. Oh, super cool. I yeah. like that. So the, the owner at the time was actually the owner of American Apparel. His name was Dove Charney. And um, so we were doing work there a couple of days a week. And we would go between there and the factory and do stuff. And uh, uh, the girl who was kind of running the whole thing that we were doing, her name was uh, Andrea. And she kind of, we were talking and she asked what I went to school for and what I did. And so she set up an introduction with this, uh, the creative director, Ben O. Russell, and he was a genius, but that's a story for another time. <laughs> oh, I don't uh, know. We might get into that, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> so he he lo- he really liked the work I was doing, and um, basically, they asked me to work with the company. And so it was, I think it was May or June. I had gone back to San Francisco uh, for graduation, and right before I left, my professor invited me to a design competition in New York, and the team that I was going to be working with with American Apparel was in New York. And so um, basically I booked my ticket from uh, the day before I left for San Francisco to go to New York. So went to San Francisco, graduated, and then flew to New York and was there for about two months working with American Apparel. And that story story doesn't happen that often, you know, right? Like that's a pretty dream gig to walk out of college, land into this like – Perfect job. What do you, is that something that happens to you a lot? This like timing thing? Or maybe I should let you go forward and we'll find out. But I mean, yeah, I would say (sighs) timing has always been on my side with a lot of things. Nice. Uh, (laughs) Very fortunate. Um, But yeah, so I I went out there and I worked with the company for, I'd say about a year and a half and uh, just wasn't very happy there. And so I left and Ended up jumping between a bunch of different jobs, uh, you know, working for marketing agencies or ad agencies and denim companies. And, uh, you know, I worked for BCBG for a while. And uh, the last fashion company I worked for was Lucky Brand. And I had only been there for two months. Uh, And then right after I had gotten an offer with a skate and snowboard company called Arbor. And uh, that had been 
something I'd always wanted to do because I grew up in Los Angeles skateboarding mm-hmm. and like, uh, I was assistant to Craig Stezik, who was one of the founders of Dogtown and Z boys and like the Zephyr team and, uh, Pal Peralta and bones brigade. And so, um, I got about half of that, but you'll tell me that afterwards, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a California skater thing. <laughs> I like to pretend I know all of that, but I have a limited, you know, we all have limited yeah. brain space. <laughs> I mean, unless you know, it's like one of those, it's really obscure. Oh, I'm sure uh, the listeners that know are like, oh, what? You did that? <laughs> yeah. Okay, go on. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I got an offer with Arbor and I uh, sort of uh, left Lucky Brand with, uh, they offered me a really amazing salary that I turned it down to kind of pursue my passion and took a really huge pay cut to be there. And actually right when I took that pay cut, I had started showing in Mexico. So we were down in Tijuana showing our artwork. And then I was back in the office with Arbor for two days, or three days. And then I left again to come to Boise, Idaho because my friend, wanted to kind of show me uh his his city where he grew up you see that that doesn't have a lot of shine right like I was in LA and New York and Tijuana and San Diego and and then I went to Boise (laughs) yeah I mean uh, it's just funny like people when they think about Boise they think it's they're like why would you ever go there no offense Boise but it's just yeah I love it. It's beautiful. Well, that's good. I know. I know. We'll get, I know. I'm like, I shouldn't say that. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. So then. So (laughs) So then I came back and, uh, actually had been wanting to move to Boise since, since I took that trip and it kind of sent me back a year and a half or two years to actually get here. But, uh, you know, I was with Arbor for a year and a half and, um, you know, did some of the best, some of my best work, I think with that company. And then, uh, got laid off because of uh, some holes that had happened or things that had happened with the company. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, found myself in San Diego uh, with a company called Wasserman. And they kind of brought me on uh, to do design work with their creative team down there and uh, moved down there with a girl that I was dating at the time and things didn't work out. So four months later, uh, you know, I kind of had decided to get rid of all of my things and except for my clothes and my camping gear and some books and loaded it all in my car and left for Boise. So what, what do you think if you could name like either the top thing or the top two things or whatever that made you decide to get rid of all of your things? Uh, you know, it, so it, it kind of happened because around the time that I had decided to move, um, you know, I was moving around a lot. I had just gotten down to San Diego with all of my stuff and it was still sitting in storage. And, you know, I had been living at my parents' house for three years after college and it still was just sitting in storage in my closet. And I kind of got to this point where, um, you know, I'd been working with these consumer brands for a long time and just noticing how, uh, people were constantly like trying to obtain things to be fulfilled or Mm -hmm. to feel successful. And so 
a couple months before I left, my mom went to New Jersey because my grandma had passed. And, you know, I kind of asked her how the trip went. And she's like, yeah, like, you know, uh, it was, you know, it was sad to see her go, but we were left with all of these things that she had accumulated over the years. And it's not like she had very much, but it was kind of unfortunate because we ended up just throwing it all away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what was valuable to her was, was not necessarily valuable to us. Right. It's like all these treasures that we, we work and, and take care of at the end of our life are more, more of a burden in some ways. Yeah. And so I kind of was thinking about that and I was thinking about how my stuff had been in storage for so long and, uh, around the time that my grandma passed, I think it was a week later, my girlfriend's grandpa passed and, you know, we were at his house and she was just like, going through all this stuff, but like, you know, even the things that she did take, they Mm -hmm. were still like X amount of things that, you know, they didn't take. Mm -hmm. I just started feeling like, uh, I didn't want to be wasteful. I didn't really want to contribute to consumerism and I wanted to sort of simplify my life. And so I got rid of everything but my clothes and my camping gear and my books, like I said, and um, just sort of downsized my life. And that's a pretty big change. You say it was such like a calmness, like, yeah, so I got rid of all my stuff and I got in my car, but that's a huge, huge step. And and how old are you again? I'm 28, 28. That's a big wise decision at 28. That's a really, and that was probably not even, that might've been a year ago or something, but that's like, um, to do that takes a lot of it's a risk. It's a risk. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a breaking path. You know what I mean? It's yeah, it path. actually, it actually happened, uh, three or four months ago now. Oh, is that all? Is that all it is? Yeah. It actually oh. recently just happened. Wow. So, I like that even better. This is better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I just, it, it was really kind of liberating to just get rid of it. I mean, there were things that I wish I could have kept, but at the same time I was like, it, it, I started to, uh, you know what it, it was, it, there was this thing we did in art school where, um, I had a professor that made us do a five or 10 hour drawing. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, he took us outside and he said, all right, now I want you to burn it. <gasps> so we burnt the piece oh, and gosh. I always thought that was a great lesson because it's, you know, people put a lot of value on the things that they create or the things that they make. And it's all very temporary. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of like a good lesson in just being able to let go of things. Mm-hmm. Did p- other uh, people in the class react differently to that? Yeah, I think they did. I mean, I've always been like, I've never really put any value on the work that I've made. So there's oftentimes where I've like made something that I've loved mm-hmm. and then someone's like, Oh, that's great. And I'm like, just, take it. I'd rather you give it a good home than Mm. me like drag it around for months at a time because it's just sitting in storage, you know? And so for you, is it the creation versus the having when it comes to your work that it gives you joy? Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, sort of been kind of questioning that lately. I had someone ask if I've sold work before and um, a friend of I, uh, mine and I have actually sold a piece to one of 
the Rockefeller's granddaughters, like way back when. And that was kind of like my biggest sell. Um, but was that hard? I mean, or I, is it more the fact that what is the joy in the creation or the joy uh, in the, like, is that where the joy comes for you? I'd say it comes from the creation and just being able to express myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of the work I'm doing now is sort of a reflection on where I came from and, uh, you know, where my family came from and, mm-hmm. uh, and you, you grew know, up, you grew up in the LA area. Yeah. I grew okay. up in, in Los Angeles. Okay. Um, so I have a question for you kind of going back for a second to when you so since this is so recent, it should be really fresh in your mind. Were there any, were there any pieces or things that you had to get rid of or sell that you were like, that you struggled with? Yeah, I mean, I had this this vintage 1950s, like, diner-style table that is, like, really kind of a collector's item. And it was only hard because I had that – it was sort of like this – the one thing that I wanted to keep, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't because it didn't fit in my car. <laughs> you didn't strap it to the roof and, upside down or anything? <laughs> that no, would have worked. <laughs> I probably could have taken it apart, too, but, you know, I was just like – I'll find something else. Mm-hmm. And actually my table now is just wood and it's something I can just take apart and carry with me. Mm. If I needed to. Okay. So I was thinking about it more from a standpoint of like, is this something that I can just load into my car if I need to just pick up and go? Gotcha. Is there, um, was there any, like, did you have any like butterflies or, any nervousness about giving up all your things? Was there like a moment where you went, Oh, what if I really need the, all that stuff back or anything like that? No. Cause I mean, in the last couple of years I've been doing a lot of backpacking. Okay. So I've kind of taken on this like mindset of like, you know, when you go backpacking, you only take what you need. Mm-hmm. And that's been like a big conversation of like, okay, what is necessary? Like, what do I actually need to have? And, it actually ended up just being most of my backpacking gear mm-hmm. and then the, and then clothes. And for a long time, I guess for like a month or two, I was just cooking with uh, all of my camping equipment. And I've kind of added a few things to my cookware, but it's pretty bare bones. Hmm. You know, and people are pretty <clears throat> accepting of that. You know, I think that you... People assume, well, I have to have nice dishes so that if I have someone over, I have something nice to serve them on. Uh, or serve their food, but really people are just there to be with you. They don't really yeah. care what the food comes on, you know? Yeah. I mean, if I was throwing a nice event, like, yeah, I'd, I'd you know, maybe rent some nice dishes or something. Mm-hmm. But like for me, it's, it's about the people you're with. If mm-hmm. you're having a dinner party, um, you know, I have people over all the time and my, my plates are enamelware and I have some nice silverware. Right. Uh, it's, it's basically just like sitting around a campfire and having some food and (laughs) conversation, which I think are some of the best experiences anyway. I think so too. You know, I mean, I can totally appreciate the joy of like a five-star restaurant or four-star, whatever, four-star restaurant with all of the beautiful China and silverware. I can, I can definitely appreciate that and go in and have joy with it. But personally, I love the diners where nothing matches. 
You know, you yeah. go you go to like this little diner with all these mismatched chairs and mismatched dishes and silverware. Yeah. Those See, are the ones I have the best time at. Yeah, that's where we differ. I'm a little OCD about my my kitchenware. Everything <laughs> everything has to match. That was like one of the rules. <laughs> That's when I moved. I was like, everything has to be the same. So I'm getting rid of everything, but what I keep, it has to match. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Yeah, exactly. It just has there has to be harmony amongst all of the things in front of me. That is good to know for any other OCD listeners who plan to go minimal. Um, make sure you keep the matching in place. Yeah, I am I am the mismatched person. So you might not feel that comfortable in my house. <laughs> That's so funny. I didn't see that coming. Okay. Um, Okay. Where were we? Uh, Let's see here. So you're, you get in your car, you have your stuff that matches and you head out on, then what, what happened next? Um, So I got back to Los Angeles and I got to my parents' house. And when I walked in, my parents were celebrating and there were a couple drinks in and they announced that they had sold the house that we grew up in and um were you know closed the uh the deal on their house up in Squim, Washington to retire. Nice. And that my mom had retired that day. So it was a little bittersweet because that was kind of the the house where all of our friends congregated. We spent like every night on the porch hanging out and it was just kind of like the the central hub for a lot of us. So Right. That's that true. Pretty, That's hard to let hard. go of. Did you grow like yeah. that? You lived there all your life, growing so, up. I am. I was six. Yeah. Okay. I was twenty-eight, pretty much. Yeah, that's a tough one. Luckily, yeah. my parents moved around a lot, so I never really had that happen. Yeah. <laughs> I have no attachment to houses anymore. So. Yeah. So that was a big thing for me too, because it was just like, okay, um, you know, the everything that I've known is, mm-hmm. is kind of out the door, and this is sort of like the next chapter where I get to really define what my life looks like. And Mm -hmm. so I spent the the next two weeks living in LA and commuting by bus to my office and uh, somehow managed to convince them to let me keep my job. And after the two weeks were up, I got in my car and I drove um, up to Big Sur where I spent two or three nights camping and met a lot of transients out there who were sort of doing the same thing that I was doing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I remember it was, it was like my last day there and I was feeling pretty torn up. And there was this, um, I'd say like 60, 70 year old man from Texas and he loved to surf and he that happens with most sixty to seventy year old men from Texas. Just well, yeah. I mean, but at a young, I mean, at a young age, he loved. He was telling me, he's like, yeah, when I was a kid, me and my buddies would drive out here and we'd go surfing, right. we'd drive down to Baja and do this whole circuit. And that's so cool. You know, I asked him like what his story was, and he said that he, you know, at like twenty some years old, got a job working with the electric company, and he made a good living, got married, had kids and then retired. And that was his first trip of his retirement. And he was saying, you know what, man, looking back, he's like, you're doing it. He's like, looking Mm -hmm. back, I wish I had, you know, left Texas and come out here and surfed every day. Mm -hmm. He goes, I don't, you know, I don't regret my life at all, but you know, in hindsight, I wish I had seized the moment and just kind of taken that leap. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, that must have been so validating, right? (laughs) Like, how does that show up in the transient conversation? How perfect. See, your timing. We're back to your timing again. Like, that whole story just gave me goosebumps everywhere. Yeah, so then I, you know, the other guy I met was a writer who had been working this grind every day, and he got rid of all of his stuff and just bought backpacking equipment and was going to be living in the woods, learning how to survive in backpack because he had (laughs) never done it. He had never done it in his entire life. And this was the first time he was doing it. And so he was just going to go out and try it and figure it out and do it for as long as he could until (sighs) he couldn't do it anymore. And then he was going to try and do a reset and just, that was how he wanted to live his life moving forward. That's pretty badass. If you've yeah. ever done that before, like there's a lot of things you need to know. Yeah. So I was just like, I, cause I've done a lot of it and I'm looking at it and I'm like, all right, man, like if you, think you can do it, <laughs> a lot of like trial and error of like just doing it the first time, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I would hire a guide for that first time around. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, anyway, I, I did that for a couple of days and I went up to Santa Cruz and saw some friends and then San Francisco and saw some friends and Santa Rosa and then up to Bend, Oregon. And then I finally made my way into Boise, Idaho. Mm, that's a good trip you made there. Yeah. Those are all pretty fun stops. I yeah. think that's actually the reverse of the trip I just did out West in the fall, actually. Yeah. yeah. Except for the Boise part. But anyway, so then what? Then what happened? Um, so then I got here and I was living with some friends for a little while and I was looking at apartments and, um, you know, I'd been looking at these like pretty decent sized places. Some of them were like 700 square feet, 600 square feet and bigger. And then I found this tiny home and I had looked at a place or two beforehand. And when I walked in the tiny home, I didn't even have to take any further steps. I was just like, yep, this is all that I need. <laughs> you realize you just left me wide open for a joke, right? No. What of what of course it? you didn't have to take any further steps because you're in a tiny home. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> too easy. Too easy. Okay. <laughs> I don't usually have, it takes a lot of easy setup for me to make a joke. So thank you for that. Yeah. So this place is how big? 400? Uh, 400 square feet. And it's actually like, I don't even use more than half of the space. Like I could probably get away with 200 or 300 square feet if I really wanted. Hmm. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Although I get it. I mean, I, I mean, I, I sort of actually get that, which is kind of surprising because I have a, you know, a family size house, but I spend most of my time in, in one room, this like big, long office room that I'm in. So I get that. So now you've been there for how long have you been in your tiny home? Maybe two or three months. Don't you think we need a better phrase for tiny homes? Because it sounds sub like it's like some sort of like not enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, like tiny has a kind like uh, if we look at um, NLP, you know, neuro linguistic programming about words and that you probably study that in school, right? Because you were doing advertising. Uh, no, I'm not a copywriter. I'm actually a horrible oh. writer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So no, no words, all art. Got it. Got it. Got it. So like the NLP, no, I mean, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Tiny oh, has no, like a weird connotation to it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 
We need a better word. I don't know. I kind of like tiny home. Okay. Yeah. I it mean, goes, I just, yeah, it goes with your matching dishes. Yeah. <laughs> it all fits, right? Right. Uh, I mean, it. Uh, it's not like a a home. Right. And it's it's definitely more like a trailer. I feel like I'm camping most of the time. That's a good so, feeling. Yeah. Like, cause from my, my place, when I look out the window, there's, there's, you can see some of the mountains in the distance and hmm. you now I wake up and I have my coffee on my porch and just kind of hang out. And it's just, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm camping, which is a place where I feel most kind of Zen. I feel like I'm kind of in my best self when I'm in that environment. It kind of reminds me of, I have, I live about a mile from a small lake but mm-hmm. I can't really, it doesn't feel lakey because I'm near a highway, but mm-hmm. my best friend lives right on the lake and, you know, a mile away. Right. And mm-hmm. when I go there, whenever I go to her house, I've, I'm like, I feel like I'm on vacation. Like this is like, <laughs> I, like I've gone one mile and I feel like I'm on vacation in her house. Cause it's got that lake feel, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you can see the lake, which helps. But yeah, it's amazing how just that perspective, you know, what it feels like to you regardless mm-hmm. of what it is, changes it, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I feel about, like, language. Like, we were talking about tiny home. Mm-hmm. It's like, it really, like, language is, and this is where I took a writing class and did some writing. I took a class called Zen Poetry. Mm. And the whole time the professor was like, language is flexible. You can use words in so many different ways to portray so many different things. Mm-hmm. And so... Really, like language is is there are definitions for it, but people perceive and digest language based off of their kind of understanding or experience with that word. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, like tiny home feels like comfortable and cozy, whereas like some people might take it as like a negative connotation or right of of like um, too small or <laughs> or. Um, not enough. You know what I mean? Like they yeah. might take it differently. So I get what you're saying. So I'm glad it fits for you. That's, that's what's most important. Yeah. So what do you, um, how do you feel now that you're in this, like you've made this big leap, you had this little, and, and like when you were traveling, actually, let me ask you this first, when you were traveling from LA to Boise, what was that like not having like your own place? Like, did that feel weird that you were sort of in, in flux? No, it actually felt really comfortable. I when I was eighteen, I traveled m- with my friend's punk band around the U.S. and there <laughs> were five fun. of us. Yeah, there were five of us living in a seventeen pa- or fifteen passenger van for like three to six months at a time, and I started really loving just being able to like drive around every day and see new parts of the world and the country and you know, go somewhere new and meet new people. And I think for me, like the experience of just being kind of nomadic and having the opportunity to meet people and hear their story uh, was really inspiring. And so even though I was kind of like in the dumps about everything that had just happened, Mm -hmm. it, it kind of was enlightening and validating to meet people like that man who had just retired or that, Mm -hmm. that writer who quit his job because it, it made me feel like I wasn't necessarily alone. Um, it made me feel like there were more people out there uh, that were kind of 
you know, they could be strangers, but there's some kind of comfort in knowing their story and knowing who they are and, you know, feeling like you're not the only one going through these experiences. Mm-hmm. That That's really my favorite thing is getting out there and meeting people and hearing their stories. It's just like the everyday stories, you know, yeah. like the, or not every day, but the every, every person story, mm-hmm. because everyone has one and they can be, sometimes they blow your mind, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny, like I've had a million different kinds of jobs and, you know, gone really weird places and had really weird experiences. So I have friends of mine that have known me for maybe 10 years and I'll tell a story that I haven't told in front of them. And they're like, wait, you you did that? Like that was your life at one point? <laughs> so it's it's just, you know, like totally like it's just funny to... Um, hear those experiences because uh-huh. like, even people that you've known forever, like you will always find something or learn something new about them. Well, that, and that, I think that's true to a point, but it's, it's true to, with people who are um, adventurous. Like the fact that you've done all that and you're 28 is, well, I'm a little jealous of that because it took <laughs> me a while to figure out that these are the things I like to do. But yeah. I, and that's that's what I love about your story is you're just like going out and do the, doing these things. And I think what the listeners will wonder is, can someone who hasn't had that kind of very diverse and colorful path as you have make the leap that you're making? Or do you think you had to have that to make this leap? No, I mean, I think I think it's like I run into people in that very same thing. They're like, well, you know, I could never do that. And mm-hmm. it's 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 sort of a sense of being it's because they're they're content like Mm. they've they've got complacent like complacent yeah yeah complacent they Mm. have they have this life that they've built Mm -hmm. uh, or these experiences that they've had that have kind of established who they are and where they want to be and or where they think they want to be but you know the thought of travel or adventure is is on the back of their mind, but it really is just about not being afraid to take a risk. Um, you know, I've taken, I've taken so many risks where I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to have a job. I don't know if I'm going to be able to eat. Like, I don't know what's going to happen with my life in five or 10 years if I make this decision. Mm -hmm. But I do know is that my, my spirit or my soul is going to feel satisfied by the experience I'm about to have. Oh, I love how you just said that. I love that. Cause <laughs> so, that's the most important thing. Cause when you start yeah. fueling that, when you fuel that and get those examples of it, yeah. it, it, it breeds the next one. You know, I exactly. think with the complacency thing, it's, I, you're in a position, you know, that you, you know, you don't have kids and a wife and a house and all those things that make it a, a little bit easier to yeah. take the risk. I'm not saying it's not hard, but one of the things, and, I, and I'm on this similar path as you, it's just, I don't know that I'll get to exactly where you are, but it's definitely, I'm changing my life and I want this freedom to be mobile and move around and experience a lot of different places and people. And what I had to do was, and this is the complacency thing, you know how you, they, my mindset was, um, I'm not the kind of person who can do that, right? Mm-hmm. Now my mindset is, who do I have to be to do that? And so what I work on is being that person. So I'm always yeah. looking out like three months, six months, a year, 
who do I have to be to do that thing that I want to do out there? Yeah. And I start like, you know, like crazy trying to get to that, to be that person that can do that thing. And it happens so much faster than people think, you know? Yeah. And I mean, the other thing too is like, uh, you know, my trip up the coast to come here, I could have driven straight to Boise, but um, along the way, I went and intentionally spent time with people that I don't get to see that often. Mm -hmm. And what was really cool to kind of experience and see, and like even strangers that I met, they were so welcoming. They were like, I would love for you to come stay with me sometime. Or when I would show up at my friend's house, they're like, oh, I'm so happy to have you here. Do you need food? Do you need water? And I think the other thing about taking those kind of risks is is knowing that you have a support group and and people that you can kind of fall back on. And I'm mm-hmm. not saying like rely on them, but knowing that if you need like a night to stay somewhere or food or something, there's always going to be people on your travels or on your path that you will know and can rely on them to help you. That does, that does help a lot. The thing is, even if you, even strangers will offer you things. I mean, when I was heading back from Bend down to California, this, this man who was, I think I told you this story, the man with the keys. Yeah. Um, Yeah. This, um, in a, in a little Mexican restaurant bar deal at late at night on my road down from the mountain, I, stopped there to eat and this started talking with this this really amazing man, you know, kind of small, grizzled, you know, leathery skin, has spent a lot of time outside, mm-hmm. um, had spent many years homeless, and he was celebrating that he just bought his first used car. And the man on the other side of him was his boss and had given him a chance like two years earlier. Yeah. And it was a huge, great story. And I, I listened to his story for probably an hour. And I swear, if he weighed 110 pounds, that was about it. But boy, his heart was about three times the size. (laughs) And what was amazing is in the most humble and non-offensive way, he was offering me a place to stay for the night. And he wasn't, it wasn't at all inappropriate. It was like, you know, people have given me so many things. I want to give back where I can. Now I didn't take him up on it because I had further to go, but I'm telling you, everywhere you go, if you open your heart and are authentic and share your stories and someone gets the chance to share theirs, there are so many people that just want to connect and help people yeah. you know yeah there's there's actually a really uh the writer that i was telling you about he was telling this story about a guy who walked from illinois to big sur oh my goodness with, with nothing but a backpack on his back and when he arrived there it was like i think it was like september when i was there or mm-hmm. august but it was like starting to get cold and the guy literally only had like a t-shirt in his backpack And someone went up to him and gave him a blanket and just like a little bit of food. And the dude literally started bawling. He just started crying excessively. He's like so ecstatic and happy just to have a blanket. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. You know what I mean? And it just like those little gestures of like random people helping other people. It's like, it exists everywhere and you just have to be open and willing to letting people help you. That's such a big message. We are so used to trying to be completely self-sufficient. We talked about this, like, um, 
So um, keeping up with the Joneses is all about getting everything you need to take care of yourself so you don't ever need to go ask a neighbor to borrow their rake or a cup of sugar, yeah. you know? And that was part of how we were a community was, oh, yeah. if, if that guy has, if my next door neighbor has a chainsaw and we have a bandsaw, we can share. We don't all have to have every gadget. Yeah. You know? But well, that's the, the other thing, like going back to the tiny house is like, I don't have a mop, but mm -hmm. my best friend down the street has a mop. And so the once a month that I need to mop my place, cause it's so small and there's hardly any like reason to do it that often. Uh, -huh. uh, you know, I can just call him and go over there and use his mop. And like by doing that, it forces us to spend time together. So I won't just go there and take the mop and leave. I'll go there and spend half an hour to 45 minutes just talking and like catching up. And it's almost like an excuse to be social and like engage with your community. That is, the, and that's, that's what we need to do. I love that story. I really do. Like, <laughs> um, uh, even, you know, I live in a small town and with like the big box stores and things like that, you lose that personal experience, you know, what's, what's gone away. And I, I hope we get more of this back is what's gone away. And you know, this from your field is um, buying and selling have turned into, you know, cold electronic transactions, you know? Yeah. What's gone is the relationship. And I'm so lucky. Yeah. I live in a small town. And when I was trying to do a bunch of, you know, odd job repairs on my house, I would go to the local hardware store, like literally every day for about a month. <laughs> I think sometimes two or three times a day to the point where everybody that works there knows me and we have a pretty good friendship and I'll have a hardware store dinner party at one of these points here. But what was so cool is, you know, I had to buy some tools, but rather than buying um, every tool that I needed, they were nice enough to loan them to me, you know? Yeah. And that's, and you know what? That means that when I do need something, I'm going to go there again. I'm not going to go into the city and go to the big box store because I want to honor that relationship. And that's yeah. what we're what we need to get back to, don't you think? In the in I mean, the yeah, today? that's that's exactly why I moved to Boise. Is you know, living in Los Angeles, it's such a a rat race, and mm -hmm. you know, I love I love LA. That's where I'm from. So I grew up. It's never gonna like be a place that I don't like. Doesn't hold a place in my heart. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I was lacking was the sense of community. And I had friends there and we definitely had a, a community, but it was like intertwined with the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Whereas here in Boise, I've like just the first week that I was here, I was walking down the street or I walked into a store and everyone turned around and was like, Hey, how's it going? Like, and just would strike up a conversation. And, and then, you know, something I'm noticing too is like when I walk down the street, I see uh, someone's got their car stuck in the snow and people pull over and they get out and they help. And it's like, if you saw that in LA, someone's car is broken down, nobody pulls over and stops and helps them. Um, but I think it's just kind of like this overall sense of wanting to contribute to, um, I guess the people around you. And that mm -hmm. goes to like business because a lot of the, the stores and the companies here, source all of their meat from local farms. And there's just like a really good sense of like supporting a local community. And I think that's, that kind of contributes to that tribal mindset where a lot of humans derive from. 
Right. Actually, all humans, not a lot, all right. of them. For right. that. Except for those drive. one people, you know. <laughs> yeah, the lone wolf. Right. But, uh, yeah, it's like we, we grew up, uh, uh, I guess, like our... We evolved from a tri- yeah, we, tribal... We, yeah. we evolved from like a tribal uh, community. So, mm-hmm. you know, we all hunted together. We all gathered food together. We all spent our evenings together telling stories and, you know, doing crafts and all that kind of stuff. And that's really like, that's human nature at its like deepest core. And that's Mm -hmm. sort of how I've been trying to live my life and how I think a lot of people like you and I are realizing like, okay, that's, that's what makes people happy. It's Mm -hmm. not all of these, it's not having Instagram and like, advertising your life to the world because it creates sort of a social pressure. It's not, uh, going out and getting like the nicest thing that just came out, like the new iPhone Mm -hmm. because it's, it's, it doesn't hold the same kind of value or the same kind of weight as, um, a conversation like this or, or like a nice gesture. Those things go exponentially further than a commodity. There's just, there's really nothing better than a great human connection. There's really nothing better. And to me, in my opinion, where you really, truly connect with somebody. Yeah. And I think experience definitely outweighs, uh, objects for sure. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the, the whole drive up here, I think was so, it just has like left a huge mark in my life, but there's nothing that I could ever buy that would equate to that. I totally get what you mean. Like I could buy a big screen TV and set it in my living room or whatever you do with it and put it, put it on the wall or whatever. And it would never give me as much oh, memories and joy. And that, that like, yeah, that big, like, oh, that feeling as that two week trip on the West coast, going up and down the coast and meeting people and seeing, seeing nature and being in nature and, I think it's and the freedom, you know what I mean? The like I'm out in the world. Yeah, that's the that's the way it is. So I love the example you've set. And and um I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that your story will inspire other people who who are sort of feel that that fire in their belly to do something like this, to start looking at it. Because for someone like you, your age, you know, not a lot of attachments at this point. It's a little easier, but still risky. For someone like me, it takes some time to get there, but it's a process and it's just looking out and going, who do I want to, who do I have to be to be that, you know, to do that? So I think uh, there's so many people at so many different walks of life that are doing it now and really letting go of the stuff and going forward with what makes them happy. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Mm. So I have to ask you another question though, because I was, I was so lost in this great story that I, I kind of lost track of time. Um, what is it now that, now that you have like a little space, um, to think more and, and go deeper in who you are, what's something new that you're curious about or, or striving for that maybe you weren't before because of all the, you know, the things going on in life? Um, I guess a couple things when I was living in LA, I was, running an artist collective. I was working full time. I was engaged in a lot of extracurricular activity. And so I spent 
I'd say 12 hours to 14 hours a day working or doing something. And since I've made the decision to come out here, I've really been trying to actively figure out a way to simplify my life. Like even to like work, not working as much, Mm -hmm. uh, being more active, like those kind of things, like really figuring out how to make a living and be happy and be successful in that, uh, sort of sense, but also, uh, successful and happy in the balance between work and life. And I would say, okay. Yeah. Can I throw you a curveball question? If it's too, if it's too hard to answer on the spot, that's okay. But, um, what do you, how do you define success for you? Uh, I guess that's exactly the thing that I'm questioning is, Mm. is it's definitely success to me is a balance, I think between, because I love what I do and I really, I could, I could do it for 14 hours a day and feel successful. But I also know that I'm missing out on certain things like, uh, quality time with people and, you know, being out in nature and being able to reflect on my life and kind of question the things about my life that, uh, you know, I want to change or make, uh, better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it, it really is to me, cause I think everyone has a different understanding of success mm-hmm. to me. It's not, it's not commodities. It's not money. It's being able to do what you love both with work and in life. Mm-hmm and not be like completely struggling mm-hmm. just like being torn, able to... like torn between the two or something or even financially like mm-hmm. oh yeah <laughs> str- yeah like even like stressing out that you're not making a ton of money mm-hmm. and you have to pay your rent and all this stuff because like that creates a stress in your life that is is probably worse than a lot of other things so yeah i think i think it really is just about being able to support yourself financially and do what you love mm. and having balance balance and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's Cause nice. I think both those things are balanced. Mm-hmm. And then you were going to say another curiosity and I interrupted you. No, oh, it's okay. Uh, yeah. So you knew that you knew that was going to happen. Let me just do it one more we, time. We, <laughs> we totally prefaced this ahead of time. Um, yeah. I mean, the other, the other thing is, is really kind of going outside of my comfort zone and challenging myself to do things that I wouldn't normally do like mm-hmm. a podcast, like a podcast. It's been, Oh, we were going to, we were going to go back and check. So how uncomfortable are you feeling right now? On a scale of one to 10, uh-huh. 10 super uncomfortable and one being not very uncomfortable and like probably about a five or six. Are you really still? Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I'm a very bashful person. So I get really nervous. Well, (laughs) I I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell. And I don't really like talking about myself. So this is, (laughs) this is something new for me. Well, as a, as a professional podcaster here, I have to tell you, you're doing quite wonderfully. So good job. (laughs) So what's your next thing besides doing a podcast um, to put yourself out there outside of your comfort zone? Do you have anything else in mind? No, because I kind of just decided this the day that I emailed you that that's what I was going to do. <laughs> so no, like, this... no downtown Boise flash mobs or anything like that? <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know. I think for me, I really, I'd really like to do... 
a solo backpacking trip for like a week. That's something I've been kind of questioning. Hmm. Where would you do that? Do you have anything place in mind? Uh, well, now that I live in some of the most amazing national parks uh, <laughs> or near them, mm-hmm. somewhere around here probably. But uh, not in the winter, right? Please tell me not in the winter. Well, that's actually that's something <laughs> I've been wanting to do too. Realistically, <laughs> like I was, I don't have the gear for it yet, but I uh-huh. eventually want to do winter camping. Yeah, I heard some people do that. <laughs> I mean, it sounds miserable, but it sounds like such a good challenge, you know. It, I, I'm sure it is. I don't know that it'll be on my bucket list, but yeah, I, I think there are people who do it and absolutely love it. In fact, after yeah. the show, after we're done, I'll I'll connect you up with somebody you might want to check out. Yeah. It's got some info on it. Yeah, that it looks beautiful because it's such a contrast, you know, when you see mm-hmm. like a tent and a fire and it's there's snow. <laughs> it's such a contrast, is, but the skies it, must be so beautifully. Yeah, crisp. I mean, I just I just think about like for me, the reason I even started backpacking was because it was one of the most challenging things that I've experienced, mm-hmm. and I love like forcing myself to have to survive. Like, I think it's just such a good quality. I remember, you know, the first couple of times I did it, it was really, really challenging. And we would do some pretty intense hikes and, and stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I remember telling my friend at one point, it's like, if you can survive backpacking or being out in the middle of nowhere for a week or a couple of days, then everything life will throw at you in society probably seems insignificant because, Mm. you know, you're not having to worry about food or shelter and like the same kind of respect. Hmm. That's, that's good advice. (laughs) I mean, that's, I'm sure that's a true statement, which is why I'd probably survive about a half a day. So I have some work to do on that. (laughs) So you're saying like without a camper, right? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Car camping doesn't count. (laughs) That's glamping in my oh, opinion. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have any very good camping stories so far in my repertoire of camping stories. They're usually, they're both, the two of them, there are two, and neither of them are highly successful. So <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. I've never, there's been a lot of times where things have gone completely wrong when I'm camping. Too, so it's just oh. the nature of the beast. Yeah. What is like, what's the, what's, what's an example of one of like the, the worst things that happened when you were camping? Uh, I mean, I've had a couple things happen and I've, I've run into a lot of, I've run into two black bears in the middle of a fight once. Ooh, that's scary. What'd you do? Uh, just, you have to make a lot of noise, make yourself really big and then oh. keep, and they don't, they're pretty harmless. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but just when they're, when they're, in the, when they're aggressive, that's when you have to be kind of cautious. So they were fighting and that was a little iffy. So backing away wasn't the best solution in that point, just like tiptoeing. No, it, backwards. it was. It was good. They they totally ignored us, and there was two oh, okay. of us. Okay. Felt a little better. Um, <laughs> and then the other one uh, was my friend and I went backpacking, kind of off trail up to this mountain, kind of like at Treeline mm-hmm. or at Tree. And this was a week before uh, Boulder, Colorado, got flooded out, and I think eight people died. Ooh. So. It was that same storm rolling through where we there a week before at the top of a mountain just outside of Breckenridge and we got caught in the middle of a thunder and a hailstorm. <gasps> oh, scary. So we were literally in the middle of that for 
24 hours. But what, we made, what did you do? What was your strategy to survive? We just waited for the hill to go down and then we went fishing. <laughs> <laughs> and made really big fire so it wouldn't burn out. Oh, uh, okay. Which, so you didn't you have know, to like find a cave or anything? No, we had a tent. We do caves fine. exist? I don't know if they exist up there. Nah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't been to enough mountaintops. <laughs> I would have no idea. We just all should know that. That all sounds pretty fun. It sounds like you're going to have a lot of fun out there in Boise, exploring all of the, the new places, the new places to get outside. Yeah, so far it's been really beautiful mm. and inspiring, and I can't wait to do more. Well, this has been such an enjoyable conversation. In yeah. fact, uh, when I'm out in Boise, I will be checking out your tiny house, just so you know. Yeah, come hang out. I will, absolutely. Take you around. Boise's a great place. It'll be in the summer, though. Let's just yeah. all know that. <laughs> because <laughs> it's like zero here right now and for the people outside of the, that don't do fahrenheit that's cold let me just put it that way i don't well, know how to translate it's like one or two degrees warmer here so <laughs> <laughs> so if people want to get a hold of you and ask you questions or see your art or your work um how is there a way that they can do that uh yeah uh you can go to my website it's a little confusing it's 6188 N as in Nancy, <laughs> W as in water, uh, dot net. So it's not NW as in Northwest? Uh, you know, I'm going to leave that one open to interpretation. <laughs> I don't really like to to tell people what it is because okay. it's, it's kind of one of those things where it, it could have multiple meanings. And I just like hearing what people think it is instead okay. of telling them. Oh, man, that was the one thing I wanted to know in this whole conversation. I know. every I, I did an interview magazine once, and that was my exact same answer. So <laughs> no one will ever know. Even what the numbers mean? You didn't tell? Did they ask what the numbers meant or anything? Yeah, they asked me the exact same question, and I, I choose to let people decide for themselves. Uh, okay, I'm going to decode it. I'm going to decode it. You wait and see. And if then you no. figure out, What's let that? me know. If you figure it out, let me know and I'll tell you if you're right. Okay. I actually am going to do that. I'm actually listeners, actually listeners, if you wish to try to decode that <laughs> site and send in your answers, you can, you can funnel them through me and I'll tell them that they're mine or no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I will go ahead and send them. I want to know this is, we'll have to, it'll be like a contest. The first and yeah. ever, the first contest so far Whoever on glistening particles. Wins, I will send them a piece of art. Oh. Oh, it's got to be me that nobody else can enter. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Well, this has been super fun, Nathan. And I just great, great, great conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, All right. Take care. Bye. Well, if it wasn't obvious, I totally enjoyed that conversation. I mean, not only because he was just really interesting to talk with and hear the story. But, oh, my gosh, I'm still laughing about the dishes. I totally didn't see that coming. Totally didn't see that coming. And that's what I love about people and hearing their stories because you just never know, right? The other thing that I really enjoyed about Nathan was, and it's a great, this is the great reminder to everybody who listens to these shows, and especially ones like this, where I literally did not know him. We literally did not know each other at all. And... Now I feel like I have a friend. I feel like, you know, and I hope he feels that way too, that, you know, we could reach out to each other and go, hey, I'm doing this thing. And what do you think about this or whatever? You know, we just have a friendship. The other thing 
Um, I wanted you to know is I did figure out. I cracked the code on the website. And so, I, Nathan, uh, if you're listening, I expect a piece of art. And everybody else, if you, have, if you crack the code, and I'm not going to give any clues away because that would be totally unfair, but if you crack the code, go to his website and tell him what it is and um, collect your piece of art from our artist friend, Nathan. The other thing that... Um, that, it, that I'm taking away from this is really just how much our lives can change when we reduce the amount of stuff that we have around us. I've learned, and I'm not as far you know, into the minimalist lifestyle as Nathan is, but I'm definitely a lot closer. And what I find is that the extra space actually gives me clarity and comfort. You know, I used to think that the things that I would buy, whether it be clothes or household items or whatever, you know, to put around me gave me comfort, but they actually blocked me and distracted me from really what was important. And so the more that I pare down, thin out, let go, uh, really, the more at peace I am on the whole. So hopefully you guys are um, thinking about that yourselves. And hopefully in the future, I will have the actual minimalists from the documentary on the show. That's my next up uh, effort is to go see if I can get them to come talk with me. Meanwhile, speaking of the show, if you know anybody who would be a great guest, or maybe you yourself would be a great guest, please go out to the website, or um, I think you can reach me on there, definitely can reach me there. I also have a Twitter, a Glistening Particles Twitter, and it's actually called Glistening Parts, which I know sounds a little bit odd, but Twitter only allows me to use that many characters, so you just have to live with it. We also have, um, I say we, but it's really just me. <laughs> um, there's a uh, Instagram listening particles instagram and a facebook page so go to any of those channels that suit you and come on out let me know if you'd like to have a conversation because i'm always looking for more people to talk with also coming up ahead is um, i'm going to go do some road trips with people who have been on the show so basically go to their place hang out with them travel around their country for a week or so and uh, collect some more glistening particle stories random on the road So if you would like me to um, come hang out with you or you have someone great that I should come talk to, give me a shout about that too. Oh, it's so much fun. Every conversation. Um, Thanks for listening and look forward to talking to you again. Bye for now. Bye.